I had a, um, I had a fascinating um, cross-cultural experience this morning, um, having come from Oxfordshire to, uh, to Derbyshire. It's a slight shock to me, um, but I, it might have been more of a shock had it happened to, um, to one of you who have just come from Africa to be with us. Um, so I just want to assure you that any of, if any of the domestic staff here call you duck, <laughs> they're not implying you have a bill, feathers, webbed feet. It's not an insult. It's a, a warm term of affection. So uh, thank you very much for this uh, invitation to speak um, here. And what I'm uh, about to say might surprise you, but I want to start by telling you what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to talk about mission in Africa, which might be a surprise at the CMS Africa conference. I'm not going to do that because I'm not particularly qualified to do that. Partly I say that because most of you are much more experienced in mission in Africa than I am. I also say that because this conference is called African Voices, African Vision, African Mission, and I fail to qualify on all three counts. That said, I do want to bear testimony to the incredible impact that African Christianity has had on my life. It was 11 years ago that I first went to Africa. Through CMS, I spent two months as a guest of the Diocese of Nukuru in Kenya, and it was one of the most significant experiences of my life. Truthfully, it was one of the most disturbing experiences of my life. I have never before felt so far outside my comfort zone, nor had I ever felt so white. But it was a very, very good experience for me. I was wonderfully welcomed and made some very good friends too. What it did above all was to overturn every negative impression of Africa that I had ever been given. And I often say this and I will go on saying it, I love going to Africa because in Africa I breathe a different air. I breathe no longer the Western air of cynicism and scepticism in which hope is in short supply. In Africa I breathe a different air, an air born of faith and of hope, an air which believes that change is possible, an air often that believes and trusts seriously in the promises of God. And it is not just an air of faith and of hope too. I well remember being in a very poor community for the opening of a new church and hearing people living in real poverty, praying, people who materially had very little, repeatedly saying, Asante sana, Asante sana, Asante sana, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Africa is rich in faith, in hope, and in gratitude. And I thank God for that faithful, thankful African spirit that has blessed and has challenged me uh, so much. Years later, not long after I'd started at CMS, I was invited to Lambeth Palace for a roundtable discussion about DR Congo. And I was invited even to sit next to Archbishop Isingoma at lunch. And I have to say, I felt very full of myself mixing with all these archbishops because the archbishops of Rwanda and Burundi turned up as well. But I was brought completely down to size when at one point in our meeting, the Reverend Desiree Mukaniwa from Goma, he's just been appointed Bishop of Goma, he took a photo out of his wallet. It was a photo of a girl about, aged about 12 or 13, standing solemnly outside her hut. And he said, this is just one of the thousands 
of women and girls who've been raped by the armed gangs who've marauded through eastern DRC. And the government doesn't care about such people. They only care about lining their pockets. And the normal instruments of civic society that you might expect to help just don't exist or have been subverted by the government. And the only thing that stands between people like these and the armed gangs and these armed gangs is the church. And then he said this, and these words burned themselves into my soul and it felt to me like a true word from the Lord. Then he said, and we desperately need people who will come and stand with us. We desperately need people who will come and stand with us. And I've never heard a better reason for sending people in cross-cultural mission than that. We desperately need people who will come and stand with us. And whilst I'm leading CMS, we will never stop sending people in cross-cultural mission. But equally, of course, it is not the only thing we do. And I'm honoured, truly honoured, to share this platform with three people who in themselves embody the multifaceted face of African mission today. Mission in, mission to, and mission from Africa. Richard Rocondo with his, stand up Richard, with his astounding work, uh, sensitising the church of Uganda to the needs and values of children. Dennis, stand up Dennis. Uh, leading CMS Africa in new, innovative and transformational models of mission. And Harvey, stand up Harvey, helping to release the gifts, the astonishing gifts of the uh, African church in global mission. I'm proud and I'm honoured to share a platform with them and proud and honoured that CMS is in partnership uh, with them. And indeed, uh, Harvey and Dennis are going, both going to have the opportunity to comment um, on what I have to say at the end of each of my two Bible readings. And brothers, I hope you will be kind. <laughs> so even as I'm not going to talk about mission in Africa, I'm very happy to bear testimony to the way in which Africa has richly uh, blessed me. I'm not going to talk about mission in Africa, but I do want to talk about mission. You will be pleased to hear because it kind of goes with the territory with my job. One of the areas of mission in which I am particularly interested, in which I think is really important to us, is the interface between church and mission. What the church looks like in mission, what mission looks like in the life of the church. The intersection, if you like, of missiology and ecclesiology. And it's on that that I'm going to focus in these two talks. What is a church that takes mission as its first priority, that lets mission set the agenda actually look like. And what I want to talk about in these two talks is what I've called the ins and the outs of Christian mission. I want to suggest that if the church is to be fit for mission, it has to, be, it has to pay attention both to the inwards and to the outwards dynamics of Christian mission. Or to put it another way, to put it in, a, in, a, in an image that we will all understand, We've got to get our breathing right. We need both to breathe in, which is the subject of my first talk, but you can't hold your breath forever, can you? So we also need to breathe out, which is the subject of my second talk. And these two dynamics, the breathing in and the breathing out, are really important. And both indeed, I believe, are key ministries of the Holy Spirit, who is, of course, the breath of God. So let's start with the breathing in and listen to Julie reading to us, Acts 2, 42-47. Just use that mic, Julie. Thanks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Julie. I'm going to approach this um, passage from um, perhaps an unusual angle, and I'm going to approach it by telling you a story. One day in the spring of 1998, while I was still Jones Vicar, um, I decided I would go away that following summer as a leader on a Pathfinder camp. And so I did, and a fantastic time um, I had too. And it turned out not just to be a, a one-off, and I went for the next couple of years, and I enjoyed it more and more. And then in the year 2000, the leader said to me, Philip, we're going to stop leading this camp, and we want you to take over. Frankly, I, I should have seen it coming, not least because at the time I was actually head of Pathfinder, so I was kind of in, in the firing line. But I was daunted nonetheless, because these were, these were fantastic people who had done a really, really good job. And whilst I knew I had to say yes, I was, I was worried. This was a fantastic camp. It was really well led with, with wisdom, with passion, with commitment. And my big fear was that under my leadership, there was really only one direction for it to go. And that was not a positive one. It's actually a very daunting thing to take overall responsibility for a residential holiday of some 70 young people and 40 adults. There is just a huge number of things that can go seriously wrong. But anyway, I took it over. And that first summer, we had a fantastic time. The kids loved it, the leaders loved it, and even I loved it. But when it was all over, I asked myself why it was so good. Yes, we had a fantastic site. We had a, a beautiful old house in the middle of the countryside. We had some great kids. We had an excellent program of activities. We had a great leadership team. But somehow, the whole thing seemed to be more than the sum of its parts. It wasn't just those factors individually that made it so good, or even those factors altogether that made it good. And then it struck me. What we had done, quite unintentionally, over the, the 10 days of the camp, was to build a community. That's what we became over that period of time. We became a community. That was why at the end it was so hard to leave and why there were so many tears. We were breaking what had become the quite deep bonds of community. So in the years that followed, we set about not being accidental, but being quite deliberate about building community. We didn't just want it to happen, we wanted to make it happen, or rather we wanted God to make it happen in our midst. And we didn't want to be any old community, just for the sake of being any old community. We wanted to be, of course, a Christian community. We wanted to be a place where you would find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which, of course, if you hadn't noticed, are the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. We wanted to build something truly Christian, a place where God was at work amongst us. That's what we wanted to build. That's what we wanted to be. Now, I wouldn't say that we always succeeded, but I do believe that with the Lord's help, we did do something 
really quite significant that made a real impact on the lives of many young people and on many leaders, and it made a real impact on me, which is partly why I'm telling you all this. I think the Lord used that experience to open my eyes to something that we all too often lose sight of, and that is this precious, really important, vital concept of community. It's a subject, I think, that we've often treated far too often as an optional extra, but which is, I believe, absolutely fundamental to our being Christians, to our being the body of Christ, and it is absolutely fundamental to our mission. Year after year, amidst all the tears at the end of camp, young people would come up to me and they would ask, Philip, why can't church be more like this? And at first I would make excuses and I would fob them off, but I repented of that and I said, that is a very good question. It should be, and I believe that it can be. And I believe it should be and can be, and I believe passionately that if church is failing as community, it is not only failing its members, it's not only failing the Lord, it is also failing those who do not belong to that community. See, community has always been important to the Lord. You see it in the very first pages of the Old Testament. I'm sure you know this, but God only pronounces one thing not good before the fall. His verdict consistently, he saw that it was good, but only one thing is, is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. Adam, the man, is not designed to be alone. He needs companionship. He needs community. The command to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful and multiply, is a command to grow community. The story of Israel in the Old Testament is a community story. It's a family history flowing from the marriage of Adam and Eve through the story of the patriarchs into the Exodus, through the time of the judges, the kings, the exile, and the return. All of that is a family story. It's a community story. And the New Testament is a family, a community story as well. From the start, Jesus is in the business of building community as he gathers a ragtag group of people around him. Jesus' instinct is always to include into the community. And he criticizes the Pharisees for their exclusion of people from the community. And that is what gets him into trouble, and that is what leads him to the cross. But it is, of course, only through the cross that the community Jesus creates becomes truly inclusive, including not only Jews, but non-Jews, Gentiles as well, which I guess uh, includes the majority of us. And it's a snapshot of that community that is brought into being through the cross that we're given in this passage from Acts 2. Now, this is a really important passage because it's the very first description of the Christian community after the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. Just get that. This is the very first description of the Christian community after the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost. And I think that is quite deliberate. This is a picture of what Christian community in the power of the Spirit is supposed to be like. In other words, this isn't just a snapshot. This is a blueprint. This is what Christian community formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit is supposed to be like. The Holy Spirit draws Christians together. He creates community. And of course, he doesn't create any old community. He creates Christian community. He creates a community in which, surprise, surprise, the fruit of the Spirit are very much in evidence. That's what the Holy Spirit does, of course. He, he, he reproduces his own likeness. In, uh, in, in the midst of 
uh, the community that he creates. So this, what we see in Acts 2, is a place of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Everything that the glorious gospel is, is reflected in this community. And when God is let loose amongst his people, this is the kind of community that he creates. A community of devotion, both to God and to each other. A community of generosity, of peace, of intimacy. A place in which belonging mattered much more than having a true community of the Spirit. And the community the Spirit creates is not only a place of intimacy, it is also a place of mission. Or rather, because it was a place of intimacy, it was also a place of mission. These first Christians, and note this, they didn't set out to do mission particularly. It just happened. It's as if they were so full of the Spirit that he simply overflowed to other people. And we're told, verse 47, that day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And that should not surprise us because there is something powerfully attractive about genuine Christian community. Mission in this community was almost accidental. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I value my job. I'm not saying that mission should be accidental. Of course not. And actually, when we look at this uh, tomorrow, we will see what the, uh, the church in intentional mission going forth um, looks like. But mission can be accidental, and sometimes some of the very best mission is accidental. It's the natural overflow, the natural outcome of what Christian community, being what Christian community should be, uh, is. The quality of Christian community really counts. People on the whole, you know, they don't tend to come to faith in a vacuum. The quality of Christian community counts. For me, it was the warmth and the intimacy of a group of Christian friends that helped me come to faith as a student. I would not have come to faith without the warmth, the intimacy, and the love of that group of friends. And for that group of friends, I remain eternally grateful. And true spirit-filled community acts like a magnet. It is powerfully attractional. And we have to make sure as members of Christian communities that our Christian communities remain like that. So I hope you can see from all this why community matters. Community is not an optional extra, but an essential. It is fundamental to everything it means to be a Christian because we're never called to be Christians alone, but always together. We're called to that for our own sakes because we all need a place to belong and a people to belong to. But we're called to that for the sake of other people too. So that through the quality of our community, others can find themselves at home. At home with us and at home with the Lord too. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He creates community. He fills community and he draws people, other people into that community. That is a key ministry of the Holy Spirit. He creates community, he fills that community, and he draws other people into that community. And that is the inward dynamic of the body of Christ. It is the in-breathing of the body of Christ. As we breathe in, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, draws people into the body which he is creating and filling. So what do we need to do with all of that as Christians today? For a start, I think we need to be truly committed 
to community. We need to be converted to community. That means that we have to take a stand against the rampant individualistic Western culture uh, of our day. Too much of contemporary life, and we're certainly not immune, encourages us to act as little idols at the centre of our own little universe. So much of that goes back to René Descartes and his famous proclamation, I think, therefore I am. And that declaration puts the single, rational, enlightened human being at the centre of all things, at the centre of his or her own little universe. But it is not the fact that we can think that gives us our identity. It is the fact that we're in community with the Lord and with one another. No Christian should ever say, I think, therefore I am. But what we can say and what we must say is this. We are loved, therefore we are. We are loved, therefore we are. That is what gives us our identity. That is what gives us our hope. That is what gives us our purpose. It is the love at the heart of genuine community and the love at the heart of God, who is community in himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is that love which most fundamentally and powerfully gives us our identity, our hope, and our purpose. And that is what it means to be born again of the Spirit of God, to find that we are loved and alive and living in deep community with one another and with the Lord himself. We need to be converted to community and to commit ourselves to be builders of community with our brothers and sisters, co-laborers in building community. And remember that we're not building any old community. We need to be builders of spirit-filled communities shaped by and for the gospel. And if I were to say one thing to clergy today, and indeed to any church member, and this may be controversial and you may even think it's slightly heretical, I would say invest more in Christian community. Don't invest more in Christian mission. I'll explain why in a moment, don't worry. Invest more in Christian community. Be confident in who you are as the body of Christ. Why? Because rich, deep, spirit-filled Christian communities grow. So an investment in community is, in fact, a deep and a profound and a richly rewarded investment in mission, as the Holy Spirit creates community, fills community, and draws other people into that community. Now, this breathing in, I think, of the Spirit is especially needed here in the West because Western culture is increasingly community poor. I spoke uh, recently at the church holiday of Holy Trinity Hounslow, and they are as diverse as the very diverse community from which they're drawn, and rightly so, because, um, because every church should in many ways be a reflection of the culture in which it finds itself. But there is a difference which I pointed out to them. <coughs> Outside the church, in Hounslow, in the so-called community, people from different cultures live alongside one another. But they don't really live with one another. There are all kinds of cultural barriers which still separate them. But it was just wonderful to be with the people of Holy Trinity Hounslow because it's not like that with them. This is a wonderfully diverse community. I've never, in fact, encountered a community that consisted in almost equal parts 
of, um, of, of Asian Christians, of African Christians, and of white Christians. It was, a, it was an astonishing mixture. And they really do share a common life together. It was beautiful to see the love that binds them together. And it was beautiful to see, too to see, surprise, surprise, that that community is growing as day by day the, Lord's, the Lord adds to their number those who are being saved. And of course this breathing in of Christian community is vital uh, in Africa as well. African community values, we all know this, tend to be much stronger than they are in the West and that is to be celebrated. But equally we shouldn't make an idol of African culture. A community that is genuinely created and shaped by the Spirit is different to any other community and we should settle for nothing less than that. So we need to be truly committed to community and if we're going to be truly committed to community then we need to accept the incredible invitation to enter into the community of the Spirit and to go on accepting it because we know how drawn away we can be, how isolated and egocentric we can become. We need to accept the incredible invitation to enter into the community of the Spirit, recognizing that that not only involves a radical openness to the Spirit himself, but a radical openness to one another as well, knowing that you simply cannot have the one without the other. The Spirit's ministry to us may be deeply personal, but a fundamental part of his personal ministry to us is to draw us into community with one another and into the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we need to go on accepting that invitation to belong day by day and resist every temptation that seeks to separate us. And we need to enter into deep community so that the world might believe. There is a deep longing in the human heart for real human uh, community. And there is a deep longing in the human heart for the fundamental community that is the eternal trinity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So the quality of our community matters not for our sake, or not only for our sake, but for the sake of those who don't believe. It matters, in other words, for mission. So we must allow ourselves to be drawn into true community with one another and with the Lord. We have to be committed to community because it's in loving, spirit-shaped community that people find faith in Christ and that day by day the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved. On the night before he died, Jesus prayed for his disciples. Don't worry, Malcolm. This is the Africa conference. I'm used to Joan. On the night before he died, Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prayed not just for those disciples who were with him, but he prayed for us too. He said, I do not ask for these only, but only for those who will believe in me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And why did he ask for that? Why did he ask for us to be united? How does the prayer continue? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world might believe. Christian community really matters. It really does, so that the world might believe. So let's commit ourselves afresh to belong to Christian community, to build Christian community, shaped by the gospel, in the power of the Spirit, setting aside our own preferences, looking to the needs of one another. Let's do that with renewed dedication and commitment. Let's do that, above all else, that the world might believe 
as day by day the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved. Amen. Let's just pause for a moment and uh, reflect. And then I'm going to ask Dennis and Harvey just to make a brief contribution. Brothers, come and share what wisdom you have. No, not all the wisdom you have. We haven't got time for that. But. Good morning. Um, I think I'll just make a brief comment. One of the things that has become very clear to us in Africa is that wealth cannot be created in isolation. Wealth is uh, poverty is actually broken relationships. Many of you may have read Brian Myers' book, Walking with the Poor. And whenever you see poverty, every instant of poverty can be linked to a broken relationship. And therefore, the gospel brings reconciliation. Mm. And the gospel is the beginning of building community. Mm. And wealth begins with the Trinitarian God who said, let us make man mm. in our image. Mm. So one of the things we teach in, 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 uh, in CMS Africa is to build relationships, build community, therefore create that at uh, the foundation of wealth creation. Secondly, we recognize that poverty is not only material. Poverty is spiritual, social, and mental. And therefore, addressing the total person actually leads to a whole person who relates to one another in a way that they, they realize they have something to give and it's moving from people who want to get to people who want to give. Mm. And that's what I'm trusting God for in CMS Africa, particularly as dioceses begin to give to one another mm. before even they come to the West. So we've challenged bishops in saying, why do you go to England or America, yet you can share with one another? Not, not instead of, but mm. because you have something to offer one another. Mm. So that those relationships begin to create a foundation for sharing God's resources so we each all become givers and contributors to the needs of others. And there's no true Christian community without generosity at its heart. Yes, answer, yeah. And that's what Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you know, talks about not, not equality but equity. Yeah. You know, I'm able to share what I have and every community has something to share. Yeah. We have something to give to the other. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Dennis. Harvey. I think that by now many of you know that I come from Magomero in Malawi, uh, the place where David Livingstone brought the very first missionaries to Malawi in 1861. So it's a quite significant place in missions in, in, in Central Africa and of course in Anglican missions in Central Africa. I, growing up in Magomero in, in the 80s and then 90s, uh, it, it became a place that kept to be identified with the issue of AIDS, HIV, in Malawi. Mm. I saw families disappear, parents, children. Uh, I grew up singing in a choir in the 90s as a, as a, as a teenager. I th 
yeah, most, most of the time would we'll, we'll be around 30 teenagers singing in a choir, common in Africa. I think out of that group, there may be less than five of us still alive today. Mm. And one of the issues that, that made this thing difficult was just the issue of community. I saw people sort of sacrificing their lives to help others, well aware that this is AIDS and I can catch it. And they caught it and they died. Mm. Community, sacrifice, generosity, mm. giving out of yourself, even when you know that, you know, this may mm. cost me. Mm. When we read Acts 2, one of the things that's, that really stands out there is th this is the day of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost brings together Jews from what Luke says all nations around the world. So probably this is the Mediterranean world. Uh, he, he goes on to mention 15 nations, probably cities around the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and all these people come together to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And, and God sort of takes advantage of this diverse community that has come from around the world and, and pours out his spirit, his mm. breath, mm. right? Mm. And, and, and the community breathes that in. Mm. And, and, and it mixes them together, mm. Mm. right? Such that when the feast is over and they return to their cities, there is already a testimony. They have breathed something of the Spirit at the Feast of Pentecost. Mm. Mm. And this is what we are seeing now. God is, through His Spirit, is mixing us mm. as nations together again. Mm. Mm. And, and, and who knows where He will take us when He's done. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Avi. Thank you.